This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. I want to encourage you to open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 20. This morning as we continue this series on prayer, we're going to be focusing on intercession or supplication before God. Dealing with the issue, does prayer make a difference? So our text this morning is 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 11. God is always the main character in the scripture. So we're looking at this to understand more of who God is, how he works. Secondary character is a king by the name of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king of Judah. He was a good king. He was a faithful king. You read about his life in 2 Kings 19 or even in the book of Isaiah. You'll find he was a man, a king that walked after God. He destroyed the places of idolatry. He sought the will of God. And he did this in the midst of a troubled time. The nation of Assyria was the world power at that time. Assyria had already defeated the northern kingdom of Israel. And now was knocking at the door of Judah. It's here we pick up the story of Hezekiah in 2 Kings 20, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, bring a cake of figs and let them take and lay it on the boil that he may recover. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me? That I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day. And Isaiah said, This shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or go back ten steps? And Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen ten steps. Rather, let the shadow go back ten steps. Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back ten steps, by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. 
May God be glorified in the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. We're familiar, most of us, with the phrase, hitting the wall. Athletes understand this, but everyone has experienced it in some way. Athletically, it's that moment when your body says, no more. Not another step, not another throw, not another mile. You can't go on. You've hit the wall. We all know that feeling. That moment when your legs give way and your spirit says, no more. I'm done. That moment when the doctor says, there's nothing more we can do. That moment when a husband and a wife hold one another and tearfully say, we don't know how to reach our baby girl anymore. It's that moment when you read the notice, your services are no longer needed. You've hit the wall. What do you do? Physically? Mentally? Emotionally? And even spiritually? You're spent. What do you do? Some quit. They simply give up. They stop seeking the Lord. They stop reading their Bible, stop attending church, and stop praying. After all, they reason, what does it matter? I've prayed and this is where we are. God has decided what will happen. So, so what difference does prayer make? Hezekiah had come to a wall. It's interesting, in verse 2, he turned his face to the wall and he prayed. To me, the image that comes to my mind as I read this is that he's laying in his bed and Isaiah is ushered into the king's presence and delivers this news. And Isaiah, or I'm sorry, Hezekiah rolls over. He turned to the wall and he called out to the Lord because of the news he had received. Get your affairs in order. You're going to die. Now, this was not a doctor's opinion, I would remind you. It was a word from God, delivered by the prophet Isaiah. King, you're a dead man. Let your family know it's time to say your goodbyes. And Hezekiah is clearly distraught. He had come to that wall. But notice what he does when he turns his face to the wall. He prays and he, he cries out to God. And it's interesting that as what we see recorded in verse 3, there's no specific intercession. And although it's unspoken though, I think it's clear that God hears what the prayer is behind Hezekiah's tears. Hezekiah prayed because of this one truth. Prayer makes a difference. One of the reasons it's often given not to pray is called fatalism. It's the idea that, well, whatever will be, will be, or God has decided what will happen, so His will is unchangeable, so why pray? 
But I would draw your attention to the text that Isaiah's prayer brought about change. And quick change at that. Notice verse 4. Before Isaiah even gets out of the palace, he's in the middle court, God says to him, go back in. Go back in. Tell him that he's not going to die. I'm going to extend his life by 15 years. Now this is not the only place in Scripture where we see a change in how God works based upon the prayers of his people. I'll give you some examples. Book of Amos. Amos says, this is what the Lord showed me. Behold, that he, that's God, was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. So this is the, a time of harvest. And when they had finished eating the grass of the land, in other words, the locust had come in and had stripped the land of everything, Isaiah, I'm sorry, Amos says, I said, O Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. In other words, how could Jacob, how could Israel survive this? The Lord relented. Now, keep that word in mind. We'll come back to that in a moment. You're going to see it again. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, he said. Amos gives another example, verses 4 through 6. This is what the Lord showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O oh Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. Lord, we cannot survive your wrath. Once again, verse 6. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be. The book of Jonah gives another example. As Jonah preached to the people of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh repented. Jonah's message was one of judgment. God is going to destroy this nation. Revival breaks out. Now look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, now that's the people of Nineveh. They repented. They turned to God. How they turned from their evil way, God, here's the word I asked you to remember, relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. He relented. That word relent means to, to go in the other direction. King James Version translates it repented. I, I think that's a very unfortunate translation because that word carries with it the connotation that God was wrong. And God is never wrong. The word relent means to simply go in another direction. So God said, I'm going to go this way. Then based upon either prayers or repentance, he went another way. Based upon prayers or repentance. One more example I would share with you. This is from the book of Exodus where God has, has come down. He has seen the sin of the people of Israel. Where when Moses was on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, the people rebelled against God and grossly rebelled against God. They made an idol. God says to Moses, that's it. I've had it. I'm going to wipe this people out and I'm going to start again with you. This is the end of a prayer that, that Moses made to God. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. In other words, Lord, you told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would have, have great offspring 
And this land would be their offsprings. Lord, if you wipe out everybody, what about this promise? Verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Now it's clear from these verses that God intended one thing. And then based on the prayers or repentance of the people, he does something else. But we also know this. There are things in God's will that do not change. That are set. Jesus, for example, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord If it be your will, take this cup away. Don't let me die, God. I don't want to bear the sins of the people. Take them away. And how did God answer that prayer? No. It was God's will for Jesus to die. Paul is another example. Paul prays, Lord, I've got this thorn in the flesh, something that is is, is absolutely horrible and hard. Maybe it was an illness, I tend to think it was, that he lived with every day. And he prays to God three times to take it away. And God says, no. Paul, this is so you will lean on my grace. And my glory will be shown through your weakness. So we have this tension. Things that God has established that will not be changed. Yet we also see where God does respond to the prayers of his people. An analogy that is often used to explain this is a a ship analogy. Suppose a cruise liner like the one on the left was to depart from New York going to Southampton in England. The destination of that ship is certain. It will reach where it is determined to arrive. But as the ship is transversing the Atlantic, there's movement on the ship. There are decisions to be made. If you are a passenger on that ship, you have choices to make. You can enjoy the buffet, the pool, the games, the music. Did I mention the buffet? You can sleep, you can exercise, you can eat at the buffet. Even on the ship, there are things that you can't do. You can't just walk on the bridge Oh, you can try, but the door would be locked. There is choice and the ability to do a lot of things. But those things do not change where the ship will end up. The destination is God's will. His fixed, determined will that has been established by Him and is immutable. But there is the reality of choices and consequences of those choices. As we travel. So I want you to keep some things in mind when it comes to prayer and seeking God. First is this. God will always act according to his character. You see, God does not change. James 1.17 reminds us of this. Every good gift, good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. God does not change. But pastor, God relented. He said he was going to do one thing and he did another. But in each of those instances, God acted in accord with his character. God is gracious, merciful, and forgiving. God has said that if we repent, if we ask for mercy, we will be forgiven. So just as with Nineveh, they repented and God acted just as he said he would. In fact, a few years later, Nineveh fell back into sin and did not repent. And that time they were destroyed. See, God is not fickle. 
He's not capricious. You see, often we make decisions based purely upon emotion. And often those emotional decisions are not good or right. But God has said, you confess your sins, I will forgive them. But if we don't, there is the certainty of judgment. God's character is consistent and unchanging. Keep in mind also this. God will always act according to his character. But God will do what is best for the kingdom. Now keep in mind the destination is sure. So as we are interacting with God who knows what tomorrow holds. He's already there. We are acting in this moment. So as we pray, remember as God answers prayer, he will do what is best for the gospel. Our prayers should have a gospel center to them. To desire people to hear the gospel. To have the kingdom expand. That is God's desire also. So God will answer our prayers as to what will bring about knowledge of the gospel. The expansion of his kingdom on earth. That means at times there's hard providences. Things that are difficult. But those things for the life of the believer will serve to give glory to God in the end. The book of Acts. The early church began undergoing persecution around Acts 6, 7, and 8. You'll read of how around Jerusalem. And because of that persecution, which was horrible, Stephen was martyred in that. He died. The believers began to spread out from Jerusalem going all around the world. The thing that brought suffering served for the expansion and the spread of the gospel. So as we pray, keep in mind that God will be working for the sake of the kingdom. Just as he said no to Jesus' prayer for the cup to pass from him, so the kingdom would be established through his death and resurrection. As we pray and as God answers, we must keep the eternal in mind. God is at work today establishing what will happen tomorrow. Picture in your mind a building being built. Before the roof goes on, we know that the frame has to be built. And before the frame can be built, the foundation has to be laid. We don't know where we may be in God's plan. That is, God either says yes or no to our prayers. It may be that frame going up for the roof to go on tomorrow or next year. To see how God works today and how we pray and through our prayers to accomplish a greater good. So we keep in mind that God will do what is best for the kingdom. And God will do what is best for you. God is good. I'm reminded of this even in the scripture that Walt read earlier. Luke records that he says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give a fish? Instead of a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Or if he asks him for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. You know, think of it like this. Suppose a, a, a little boy or girl has asked for something for Christmas. Mom and Dad, I really, I really want this PlayStation 18, whatever it is. And under the tree, there's a box wrapped up for the kid, and it's a heavy box. And when they unwrap it, it's a brick. And the mom and dad just laugh. (laughs) You thought it was a PlayStation. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. That would be cruel. God's not cruel. 
He's going to give what is best and what is good. And I find it interesting when he says, If you then who are evil know how much to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God will give us Himself. He'll do that to make us more like Jesus. This is the great promise of Romans 8, 28 and 29. See, often we stop at verse 28. We know that for, the, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Don't get verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. He says, the good I'm going to do in your life is to make you more like Jesus. It may not involve health and wealth, but it will make you like Jesus, which is of eternal value. See, our issue is that often what we think is good for us is not always good for us. Sometimes we are like children who want ice cream and cake three meals a day. Oh, it's nice. But it's not good for us. The loving parent will say, no. I love you too much to give you ice cream and cake every meal. Every now and then for dessert, yeah, that'll be good. But not every meal. God is the loving parent who gives us exactly what we need. The issue is trust. Do we trust God when he says no? Do we say, Lord, I, I know you are my good father, and if you've said no to this request, I'll trust you. Do we trust him when the answer is slow in coming? Do we keep seeking him when the way is hard and the road is long? Because even when we have to wait, God is still our loving father doing his work within us. Even when God says no, he is our loving Father doing His work within us. And when He says yes, He is still our loving Father doing His work within us. The question remains for many, but if God knows what we need before we ask, and He does, then why ask? I remind you, Hezekiah's prayer did not catch God off guard. So why pray, we ask? We pray because God is relational. That's a, there's a relationship involved. Remember, we are saved to walk with God, to know Him, and to, for Him to be known by us and through us. Prayer is not a mechanical equation where we say, well, put your time in and God will answer the equation. It's a relationship. That's why in verse 3 of chapter 20, Hezekiah goes through his resume. Remember how I've walked before you with a whole heart and done what is good. Now, Keep in mind that Hezekiah is not trying to bribe God. He's not saying, Lord, I've done all these good things, so you've got to do good to me. Hezekiah is following the pattern of prayer of that day where one would recount their walk with God. But it's also a reminder of this principle that is given even in the New Testament. James, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person, one walking with God, is effective. Not because God has been bribed, but because a, a righteous person is walking in a good relationship with God. Knows, knows God. Has a great understanding of what to ask. Because if an unrighteous person prays to God, 
I think God's response would be this. I hear your prayer, but there are some things we need to talk about first. Are you willing to start living for me? Are you willing to lay aside sin? And then we can talk about some other things. And that's because God cares for us beyond the temporary things of this world. God cares for us. The words of verse 5 are very comforting. God says to Isaiah, you say to Hezekiah, I've seen your tears. I've heard your prayer. And the answer for Hezekiah is immediate. I find it very curious, too, that while the healing is supernatural, it's done through very natural means. Look at verse 7. Bring a cake of figs. That word cake literally means a poultice. Make a poultice of figs. Put it on the boil. Now, that's a severe boil if it's about to kill you. That's what God said. In other words, put some medicine on it, and I'm going to work. Do you see this, this connection? God brings the healing, but he does it through what would be considered medicine at the time. In some ways, that's what he says in James, where he says, If any of you are sick, let him call the elders who will come and anoint him with oil. That anointing with oil is symbolic of the power of God, but oil is also considered medicinal. It's like saying, come and pray and take your medicine at the same time. You see, God often works through normal means to accomplish supernatural things. Peter Gregg is an Englishman who has written a book called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. Peter Gregg says, uh, remembers a time he was trapped, not trapped, but stranded, trapped is too strong of a word, at Chicago's O'Hare Airport. Some of you may have been to O'Hare Airport and say trapped is a better description. He was stranded in Chicago trying to get back to England, but all the planes had been grounded because a volcano had erupted in Iceland. And because of the plume of of smoke and ash, planes had been grounded that were flying over to Europe. So Peter Gregg says, okay, I'm stranded at O'Hare Airport for who knows how long. So I asked God, how do you want me to use this interruption? He writes that several American friends had already been kind enough to invite him to stay. But he said, as I prayed, he said, I found myself thinking of one particular friend who lived 150 miles away in Madison, Wisconsin. So I took out my phone and I emailed him. Hey, I'm in Chicago. Can I come and crash on your couch? Peter Gregg said that what he did not know was that just before he emailed that, Joe had received some very terrible news. And his wife, in trying to console him and comfort him, had said these very words. Who do you wish you had on your couch right now that you could talk to? Those were her words. And these these were how her husband responded. I wish Peter was on my couch. But I know that's crazy because he's in England. And he's never even been to our home. A few minutes later, an email comes from Peter. Can I crash on your couch? Tell me God doesn't do amazing things. Even in casual conversation. Prophet Malachi says this. Those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard. Our God invites us to pray. So if you were to ask me, Pastor Mark, do our prayers make a difference? I'm going to answer unequivocally, yes. 
How do we know this? Because God's given us a sign. You see, then the book of Hezekiah, or book of Second Kings, Hezekiah asked for a sign, and his sign was supernatural. When he says the sun to go back ten steps, it's almost like a sundial. He's saying, "Let the shadow go backward." I don't know how God did that. I, I'm not really worried about how He did it. I just know God did it. So if you were to say, well, how do you know God will answer? What's your sign? I'm going to answer with one word, or three words actually. Four. Okay, the sentence is growing. Four words. The, res the resurrection of Jesus. That's the sign. If Jesus died and rose again from the dead, that is God saying, I am not going to forsake you. I will hear your prayers. So rest assured that God hears. Do our prayers make a difference? Yes, because Jesus told us to ask. Ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, it'll be open. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. I really believe that if our prayers were not effective, Jesus would not have said this. This tells me there are things that God would do if only we would ask. Things that God is saying, I'll do, just ask. So do our prayers make a difference? I think we would all say yes. Then why don't we pray more? Our lips say prayer makes a difference, but often the prayerlessness in our lives stays something else. And I wonder, I don't know this for sure, but if part of our accountability before God will be one day seeing all the things that God would have done if we had just asked Him to. Ask, seek, knock, and don't stop. God is good and He is at work. Trust Him. Would you bow with me? I don't know what's on your heart right now. The Lord does. That's our great God who knows all things. There may be something heavy on your heart that you're at the point. You've hit the wall and you're ready to stop praying about and throw up your hands and say, well, God's not going to do anything. I want you to know, until the Lord says otherwise, keep praying. For some, God's saying wait, and that's hard because that's not the answer you wanted. Or God may have even said no to a request. And if you're hurting because of that, lay that before God too. But trust Him. I know many people become angry at God because God says no to a request. But I would ask you, what good does that anger do? That anger will make you bitter of spirit and will push you away from God and others. So this morning I encourage you, if you're hurting, God hears and cares for you. Lay that down before your heavenly Father. Lord, I thank you that you are a great God who does all things. So Lord, stir within us. A faith that says we will ask, we will seek, we will knock, and we will do so boldly. And Father, bring glory to your name. Through Jesus I pray. Amen.